Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 10, and we're a day late in recording this, but this is still a post-game reaction to the Huskies' big win over Arizona last night. And Huskies came out in convincing fashion and ended up with a 44-27 to victory over the Wildcats. Um, we're going to dig deep into this game and reflect on what Sam and I kind of kind of thought went right and a lot of it a lot of it went right i think but um obviously sam and i are, are celebrating and we're we're two and oh so sam what are you sipping on to celebrate tonight well i was so pumped up yesterday and i i were a day late i was over at a lake cabin and i left my whiskey over there so i'm not sipping on whiskey today man I, instead i've got a couple of beers i've got from from the elysian brewery got space dust nice. and then i've got super fuzz very nice excellent what are you sipping on yeah so similar whiskey store to you except that i just ran out of whiskey <laughs> last night so uh, i'm still a little i'm still recovering from that a little bit right now so i only have one beer tonight um but it's a deschutes jubilee ale so it's their seasonal release every year and winter ale pretty solid Anything by the shoots, I'm a big fan of typically. So they make good beer. Um, so if you've never had the Jubal Ale, definitely check that out if you're a fan of kind of darker winter ales. All right. Um, so before we get into this into this breakdown, there were, is obviously some news and elephant in the room here. It's supposed to be Apple Cup week this next week, and. Uh, that has unfortunately been canceled. Um, the Cougars uh, said that they didn't want to lose eight straight. They scared. Um, and so they they said, yeah, let's let's just not play them this year. Like we can't lose to the Huskies if we don't play them. In all ass. in all seriousness, there's a there's a COVID situation uh, on Wazoo's team. They had their last this last weekend. They had a game against Stanford that was called off because they uh similar to cal there's a contact tracing quarantine issue on their on their team right now and they don't have enough players to fulfill the pac-12's requirements for a 53-man roster um so don't know much as far as details i know that their quarterback uh jaden delora i have no idea jalen delora he's Freshman quarterback from Hawaii, went to the same high school in Hawaii as Marcus Mariota and Tua Tagovailoa. So, pretty pretty storied program, and seems like a pretty good player for them. Um, and yeah, so I think he was one of the players with it. But anyway, Apple Cup is canceled because there's COVID issues on Wazoo's Wazoo's roster. So um, they they called that off today which is sunday the 22nd and that obviously gives the the huskies some a few days here to possibly get something else scheduled 
And with the Pac-12 changing their rules with non-conference games, they're able to actually schedule a non-conference game if there's no conference games, other conference games that get canceled and another opponent in conference that they can play. Sam and I will go a little bit deeper into this later in the podcast as we're kind of lining up kind of what the rest of this this week looks like for our podcast for our next podcast episode but unfortunately it's a sad day because the apple cup seems it's like it's likely not to happen this year they sam you can touch on it i i'll I'll let you talk here for a second it they are going to try to schedule it this year if the two teams have have aligned schedules but yeah i just want to know your general thoughts basically on the apple cup being canceled yeah well i'm really bummed i was looking forward to Jimmy Lake's first Apple Cup at the helm. He's owned the Cougars ever since he's been here defensively. And I think we were primed to really take it to him again this year. (laughs) And nothing feels better than beating the damn Cougs. So I was looking forward to that. This will, if it does end up not being rescheduled at a later date, it'll be the first Apple Cup or the first season that the Huskies and Cougars do not play each other since 1944. There was a big war going on at the time. I don't know if you heard about it, but World War II was happening. So they decided that football wasn't the most important thing at that point in time. And here we are, what, 60 years later, 80 years later, 75, but yeah, 76 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Just about 80 years later. And, now we're dealing with the pandemic and looks like we won't be playing the Apple Cup. So what Connor was alluding to, the conference, they obviously understand the importance of this game to both teams and to the conference. And so if there is a situation where both the Huskies and the Cougars opponents during the same week, for whatever reason, aren't able to play, this would be like the prime rescheduled game and they would do everything they can to make it happen. So still holding out hope that we can welcome coach Rolovich to the wonderful traditions of the Huskies beating the ever living (laughs) shit out of the Cougars every year at the Apple cup. But that might just have to wait another year because it's going to happen next year anyways. So it's okay. We'll keep tabs on it. Um, But yeah. It'll be interesting. I think there's an opportunity that we can still beat up on some Cougs this this week. So we'll we'll touch base on that later. There's your little teaser nugget, even though it's probably not a teaser nugget at this point, because most of you have probably at least heard the heard the rumors. So we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that more though later in the episode. Sam, let's uh let's unpack this Arizona game if if you don't mind us moving on to Hell yeah, man. I'm still fired up from Saturday. What we actually want to talk about. Yeah. So this was a thorough ass whooping by the Huskies and after three quarters of play, I, I did mention that the, the final score was 44 to 27 after three quarters of play though, it was 44 to 44 to six, I think, or just, no, it was, it was what? 38 to zero. Arizona didn't score anything till the fourth quarter. Oh, you're right. They scored all 37, 37 to zero. And then we traded touchdowns, but yes, so 37 to zero after three quarters and then uh, backups played basically the whole fourth quarter. So the only, the only offense that Arizona generated on the night came when we had our second and third string defense out there. A lot of freshmen played in this game at yeah. the end. 
and a lot of lot of lot of players their first time seeing the field. So, which some, is awesome. Yeah, so it's awesome to get that exposure in in a conference game like this, and for it to not really have an impact on the game, even if they're messing up, because now those guys have game tape on them, right? So those are teaching moments. Um, but we can talk a little bit more about the second and third stringers in a little bit. Obviously, the, the meat and potatoes of this this episode is going to be spent talking about basically the entire the entire first team just thoroughly dominating this game in all three phases. And I mean, I want to hear kind of what your general takeaways were, Sam, as far as just like, obviously the score shows that we just dominated, but what were like the areas of the game that maybe you focused in on that the areas of the uh, areas of the game that the Huskies really did well and really kind of, you know, solidified themselves as the superior, superior opponent to Arizona. Yeah, I think I'll even take it a step back and higher level than that in terms of the biggest takeaway I had was just how different this team looked from last week and not just in terms of executing the game plan better and individual players playing better. But again, you've heard me talk about it on this podcast before in terms of Jimmy Lake and what he was looking for in hiring an offensive coordinator ended up with John Donovan. Jimmy Lake really wanted to have a chameleon-like offense that can, you know, basically be a shapeshifter week in, week out. You don't know how we're going to attack you. We'll run the ball 51 times like we did last week against Oregon State, take advantage of their undersized defensive line, come out seven days later and have a completely different look, feel, game plan, really trust Dylan Morris in the passing offense. And I mean, to be able to flip a switch and come out with a completely different game plan offensively seven days later is really hard to do, let alone doing it super cleanly, really good execution. You didn't see a lot of mistakes in terms of, you know, pre-snap penalties like false starts or illegal excuse me, illegal formations, illegal shifts, none of that. And I really just like have to take a moment and tip my hat to the coaching staff on this one. For sure. In all three phases of the game, but really, you know, we're really excited to see what John Donovan can bring. And before we even knew he was the guy, Jimmy Lake described what he wanted. And so far two games in it's happening and it's coming, coming to life. And Last week, we were pounding the rock. This week, we were throwing it around a little bit more. And we looked equally proficient doing both of those things in totally different games only a week apart. And so that was honestly probably the most impressive takeaway I had. Mm -hmm. And what makes me the most all of a sudden optimistic for the rest of the season and for what's to come with this team in 2021 and beyond And, you know, that's kind of the convenient takeaway would be, yeah, well, you're 2-0, you beat Oregon State and you beat Arizona, not traditionally powerful Pac-12 teams. Mm -hmm. But again, it's the nature in which we did it in such different ways offensively is really uncommon. And you see that defensively, you can dominate with 
different formations week in, week out, or even one quarter to another quarter. But generally speaking, in college football, you see one team have one offensive identity. Wazoo with Mike Leach, they were air raid. Oregon with Chip Kelly was read option. David Shaw at Stanford is powerhouse running the ball. Like, we were David Shaw, Stanford running the ball last week. This week, we were like, not air raid because obviously we executed it way better than they ever did over there. We were very balanced, honestly. Over at the Palouse, but like really balanced. And I think that's going to be a huge advantage and it's going to keep opposing coaching staff is opposing coaching staffs on their heels. They don't know what to expect. So that was my main high level takeaway. What were yours? Yeah. And just to kind of bounce off of what you were saying, Sam, I mean, Jimmy Lake teased in his press conference going into this game after the Oregon state game that we're going to see a different offense this week against Arizona even though he had his run the damn ball hat, Jimmy Lake is the ultimate troll and obviously said that we should see a different offense this week. And, um, and they did that. And it's, it's interesting to kind of like throughout the week, I'm listening to sports radio talk hosts and they're, they're saying, you know, I mean, Oh, UW probably doesn't even need to put the ball in the air until they play Oregon. Like they're going to be just, more talented and bigger up front and they can just run the ball these next three games against Arizona, Wazoo and Stanford. And, you know, they come out and Morris is slinging the ball around and they end up being a, like, it was a very balanced attack. Like Sam and I said, I mean, they, they passed it 26 times and ran it 45. Um, a lot of that running came towards the end of the game though too like it was probably way more balanced than that it was probably like a 26 to 30 something split i'd say kind of until the fourth quarter when it was heavily heavily run just because we were just trying to run out the clock with a bunch of backups in so yeah all kudos to all of sam's points as far as just you know well done jimmy lake and coaching staff on being able to execute a game plan that was completely different from the prior game in you know a seven day span and really executing it to a t like the players were extremely prepared for this game you could tell they were very polished and um again they just they executed really really well the other thing the other two things that sam and i had talked about going into this game and we'll touch on our keys to the game in a second here but just from a general standpoint, there were two areas of our game that really didn't live up to our expectations in that Oregon State game. First one being run defense. You saw huge improvement on that in this game. And uh, the other one being kickoff coverage. Again, saw a huge improvement in that facet of the game and against Arizona as well. And just to give you guys some context here, Arizona ended up running the ball for only 72 yards. And I believe, I think it was like, I saw like some stat. It was like 30 something yards going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, completely shut down their running game, which again, like Sam and I said in the preview episode that 
Arizona was going to throw the ball more though. They weren't just like a run heavy team like Oregon state was. So we expected their numbers to definitely not be quite as big in the running game, but not, not to that extent. So that was really good to see. And then kickoff coverage, we didn't give up one long return. Kyler Gordon was excellent in kickoff kickoff coverage. And we'll talk about more hit more about him in a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, those were kind of like my two, the two biggest areas that I was looking at going into this game. And my two biggest takeaways were that we really improved in both our run defense and our kickoff coverage. And I think those went a long way in us, you know, winning this game very handily. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And again, kind of piggybacking off of what I was talking about is that's the coaching staff, man. Like mm-hmm. identifying for sure areas of weakness from last week's game where we showed some signs of being taken advantage of. And it's a quick turnaround. I mean, seven days is not a long time. You have recovery days in there and it's to come out and execute in the run game and kickoff coverage so much cleaner than last week is really impressively done by the coaching staff, but also obviously it it takes the kids to. Yeah. The players have to buy into it, buy into it, be students of the game, trust the coaches and then go execute it. And I'm just like really excited to see what I've seen so far from Jimmy Lake and the rest of the coaching staff this year. It's been really impressive. For sure. I mean, we, we both predicted that the Huskies were going to win this game but neither of us predicted what they did. So um, obviously they, they flew past our and exceeded our expectations as far as their on-field performance against Arizona. Um, let's unpack our, our three keys to the game though, that we had um, in our preview episode. And we'll go through this fairly quickly. We'll touch on each topic just a little bit, but all three of these are check marks <laughs> just, yeah. just to give you guys an idea how well, how well the Huskies played. First one was uh, when, went along the defensive line by containing Brightwell and get pressure on Grant Gunnell. I got check, three letters, check three letters check. for you. Yeah. Z E F. Hell yeah. We have a bona fide pass rusher folks. And, you know, I think the best thing that could have happened to, Zion is Joe Tryon going to the NFL early because and Latu getting hurt or whatever his deal is. Fair, yep, yep, that as well. And he has taken talk about someone that's taken an opportunity and ran with it. Um, they're gonna have a pretty hard time at keeping this guy off the field once Latu is healthy. So I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, going forward, and if Latu is even gonna be healthy this year, who knows? Um, but if he is, there's some interesting coaching decisions because ZTF, another two-sack game. I mean, four sacks are two games, and obviously the two forced fumbles last week. I feel like he almost had one this week, too. Yeah, he almost so, did. Um, and numerous other pressures, too. He was he was in Gunnell's face. I don't have numbers in front of me as far as pressure rate and stuff, but I know that basically routinely – and this, again, starts with what, what we were talking about. By containing Brightwell, the running back, and shutting down their running game, we made this offense in Arizona very one-dimensional. And we knew they were going to throw the ball, but they they wanted to establish a run game so that they could be balanced as well. 
and we got we forced them into a bunch of third and long situations especially early in the game and our pass rushers were able to pin their ears back and i think we ended the night with four or five sacks something like that so yeah five sacks yeah so um and ztf was on two of those so obviously huge kudos to to that kid for exceeding everyone's expectations we knew he had some talent and that he had some pass rush skill but we did i don't think either of us saw the kind of production that he's he's putting off this year so yeah for sure i think at this point listeners know that i tend to take these podcasts on a little bit of a tangent but can you guys can you guys (laughs) come to me come with me to a utopian world just for a quick moment is that okay if we go down this path oh boy sure Grab your beers. All right. I'm going to need another beer. Hold on. I'll be right back. (laughs) Go ahead, Sam. Pretend for a moment that COVID didn't happen. I know we all have done this. It's really hard to think now. But yeah, okay. It's really hard. But if you can really focus in, you can kind of imagine what it would have been like. Mm -hmm. Would have started off the season playing at home against Michigan and having a regular Husky football season. Think about this defensive line. We're sitting here talking about no Tuli Le Tuli Nasanoa at defensive tackle, who is going to be our starter, number one right. guy. Yep. No Leatu Latu. Did he dress for the game or no? I didn't I didn't notice, to be honest, but we should follow up on that. Yeah. So we're sitting here in the confines of our, you know, in COVID shortened season. And we're talking about how good our defensive line is playing, let alone the fact that arguably the two linemen coming into this shortened season that you're most looking forward to watching are hurt. Mm -hmm. Now, in my utopian world, let's layer on the two other defensive linemen that those two were actually supposed to replace. In Levi Onwuzrike and... uh, Go okay. try on. Mm-hmm. So like we are performing at a high rate an elite sack artist in ZTF maybe would not have even sniffed the field. Right. If this season goes off the way that it was supposed to, because you have Joe Tryon, Leatu Latu, then ZTF, maybe mm-hmm. a guy like ZTF emerges, but like it is well, not. And on the depth chart, to be fair, Zion was backing up Bowman on the other side. Yeah. But I mean, so, it's just unreal to think happens, about yeah. how good this defense would have been. Right, for sure. That, so, I mean, that's I know speaks to the depth that they they really had at those positions. So I know, and at this point, I know it's a, in a more or less irrelevant mental exercise that I just took us all through, but it's kind of worthwhile, and it should show you how exciting it is to be a Husky fan right now with the way that we're recruiting, mm-hmm. the way that we're developing talent that a guy like ZTF is taking the league by storm or like Sam Taimani interior yeah. defensive lineman is taking the league by storm, playing really well running. He played, run he, played even, he played even better than last week too. So, and so I just think it's important to take a step back and like realize the fact that coming into a non COVID season, our top four linemen, defensive ends, defensive tackles, are not playing right now. Yeah. And we're dominating. So. Yep. 
Anyways, we can move on to number two. Sam's tangent, <laughs> tangent story. Story time with Sam is over. No, it's so good. It's our, good our, perspective. It is. It's good to keep it in perspective. For sure. Our second key to the game was on the offensive side of the ball. We were mm-hmm. looking for us to open up the offensive playbook, put the ball in Dylan Morse's hands a bit more and see what he can do. Look for some running back receptions out of the backfield. And boy, did we ever open the playbook this week? Check and check again. I mean, we were talking off mic earlier, and I'll let Connor kind of go into this a little bit more. But man, Morris is impressive. Yeah. Really impressive. And we'll go into him as a standout performer, but staying at the offensive level as a unit, they played so well in this game, and there was so much meat left on this bone. For that's, sure. I mean, that's hard to believe. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they they left some plays out there for sure. And I, I think I think, I think that's what the thing that I'm the mo- most optimistic about is they won this game so handily and they didn't even play close to perfect. Like there was a lot that they could have still improved on, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Just some opportunities. Again, some wide receiver drops and stuff came into play during parts of the game. And there were some plays over the top that Morris just, missed barely and obviously a couple couple good defensive plays in there too that you know we were just you know a a, a whisker away from making something big happen on a couple plays as well so overall obviously executed really really well though and it was really good to see Morris take take the reins in this offense and you could see glimpses of it against Oregon State as far as just his command of the offense you could tell he just had a certain kind of um, it's the word I'm looking for. Just uh, certain, I mean, certain composure about him as far as just like how he handles the offense, and um, you really saw that on full display though against Arizona, as he was asked to do a lot more and really made the most of it. Um, and again, yeah, we'll we'll shout him out a little bit more and kind of go into really some of the areas that he excelled in against Arizona. Um, but before we do that, we will talk the third third key to the game that we had here. You have to win the kicking game. Dick Baird, another shout out. So special teams was a big weak point of that Oregon State game and something that we saw as a trend last year. So was a little bit ominous to see that that kind of, you know, struggles in, in their first game against Oregon State, but really came back in a strong way and cleaned up all those errors, especially in kickoff coverage. Um, mentioned him earlier in the game, Kyler Gordon had a hell of a hell of a day on on defense, or sorry, on special teams, as well as uh, a young kid, Daniel Haimuli, who saw the field in the fourth quarter on defense, but had a really strong day on special teams as well. So kickoff coverage was great. Peyton Henry had a missed field goal. So, I mean, a little bit of a minus there. Um, but overall, really strong day for the special teams. Um, another good punt by Race Porter and Kyler Gordon downing it at the one-yard line. So, in two games, they've done that twice. So, definitely be looking looking at that as a as a mainstay of this, this punting unit. Um, I guess a couple a couple more areas that they did struggle with in special teams, I will say, is there was a which to be fair, Jimmy Lake wants them to be aggressive and they like like he's coaching his players to be aggressive. 
they do need to clean up a couple of the penalties had two running into the kicker slash roughing the kicker penalties that extended some Arizona drives in this game. So obviously didn't amount to anything in this game, but those can end up being kind of backbreaking penalties that can cost you games. So definitely need to clean that up, but it's, it's more, that's more a testament to just he, Jimmy likes coaching these guys to be aggressive and to really go for those. Cause th- those were close to being blocked. Like they were like the Ty Jones one was probably just Ty Jones being a little bit lazy and like yeah. at kind of getting out of the way. He just kind of like fell into, into the punter. Um, but I can't remember who the other, the roughing I think was, it was on. Alfonso Tupatala. Was it Tupatala? But that was close. He got, he almost got there. So I mean, you, you take those sometimes, but definitely, definitely something I feel like we do need to clean up a little bit. So, yeah, for sure. And I think just adding a little bit of context to the week over week improvement, we, we might be remiss not to give a shout out to a close friend, special teams coach at Oregon state, Ryan Sapardo. Maybe he just <laughs> has our number. I don't know what it was, but could be, could be, um, but yeah, I thought we looked good. And then obviously a huge special teams play was on the first drive. Oh yeah. Duh. Yeah. The fake punt. Yeah. I forgot about that. Cause it was so early in the game. That, that was, a, I mean, that was a huge play like that. In we're our going territory. Three, we're going three and out. If we don't convert that four and out, I guess. And yeah, I mean, given Arizona, the ball in, in on our half of the field. So, so that was remember, a massive play as well. Remember early on in the preview episodes of this podcast, we talked about Jimmy Lake has a little bit of edge to him. He's yep. an aggressive guy. Mm-hmm. That is an aggressive play call. Very, very much so. First possession of the game. Fourth I, play of the game. I watched it back again too, Sam, like right before that play. And it was kind of weird. I, I took note of it whenever I was watching it live. But like Jimmy's like talking to one of the special teams coaches on the Bob sideline. Gregory. Like the, yeah, the, the camera's on him. And he's kind of like motioning and stuff and doing like, yeah, punt team, go out there, punt team, go out there. But it looks it it looked weird though. Like it didn't look right. I was like, yeah. what is he doing? Like that's that's why weird is he for so like, why is he so fucking excited to Yeah, punt why is he excited for the punt team to go out there? Like so <laughs> and then I watched it again today and I'm like, dude, he he like he almost kind of blew that. I he's feel gotta like, work or, on his poker face. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I feel like he should be good at because he does that to all of us fans so well, but that's funny. Just, I noticed the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just kind of funny. Um, so anyway, yeah, good, good day for special teams though. And obviously that, that good job to Jackson sermon, someone that we definitely have been hard on uh, yeah. through these, these first couple games at being that up, up back and converting, getting his head in there and converting that, that, that fourth down. So I mean shit, maybe he'd make a better fullback than linebacker at this point. Well, he was he was playing fullback for us before Jack Westover became an elite fullback, I guess. So Yeah, that's true. Though so Jack Westover didn't really factor into this game very much, but outside aside, of his blocking, he was he was a good blocker. He got sure. after it. He yeah. got after a couple guys. A little <laughs> after the whistle shoving going on. I like I'm, his tenacity. I'm more, I'm more referring to the nearly heart attack botch play on the goal line on second down on the second drive i think and it was either westover lined up too close to dylan morris it was a combination i think of that and morris i think turned the wrong way 
and was slow at getting the ball out to Westover. That's probably yeah, a touchdown, though, if they execute that well. And that ends up being a field goal because they lose about three yards on that play. So Yeah, on that play, what I think it was actually, I think it was a fake fullback dive, mm-hmm. halfback pitch. And so I think but when he turned... into each other. Yeah, when he turned to fake the handoff to Westover, their spacing was off and they kind of bumped into each other. Right. And then Morris kind of fumbled, juggled the ball, couldn't get the pitch off. And mm-hmm. then smartly, again, like another very poised decision... I mean, he was getting tackled, but he didn't try to force the pitch as he was being tackled. He just took it, get three points out of it. So, yep. and that's a great segue because we should start shouting out some players. I think in this game, and it's a long list. I think that we have have yeah. to go down here because there's a lot of players that played really well. And I think the first one that we do have to talk about though is that quarterback position and how impressive Dylan Morris was. And I don't know about you, Sam. I just want to start this off by saying. The thing that impressed me the most about Dylan Morris was his composure on third downs and some of those throws that he was asked to make on third and longs, especially third and tens and longer. And you saw him execute those plays to perfection, make really accurate, decisive throws right on receivers. And to be fair, his receivers made some plays for him in in this game as well. There, There were the few drops that we'll note a little bit later, but... For the it was it was a better day for the receiving crew though, um. So, I know that you have a lot of thoughts about Dylan Morris though. So yeah, Demo, my man, Demo. Demo. He's gonna get me some gentleman Jack by the time the season's over, isn't that right, and, Connor? And Kevin Thompson did suit up for this game, so the bet is officially on. And yeah, um, I better check my check my bank account to make sure I can afford that <laughs> bottle gentleman's jack but i i foresee that coming to you and i'm happy to do it because of how well he's playing he's playing really well and and connor really heated up really well in terms of what's impressed me the most it's unbelievable to think that until last week he's had zero live college experience because he's he plays like a veteran out there he's so decisive he goes through his read seamlessly never seems to panic and the perfect play where all of this was on display was the first drive, that touchdown pass to Puka Nakua. He drops back. His, I mean, it Big was... Big play, Puka. It was a nice play. 65 all, I mean, yards. There are, there are four call-outs on this play, or yeah. I guess three. I'll stick with three on this one. Mm-hmm. The first one is Demo. He's got his initial reads down deep, deep shot on the right it's not there he goes to his second read which is kind of in the slot to his right it's also not there and as his eyes shifted to puka nakua who is running a very long drag route from the opposite side of the field he also had a free runner linebacker running untouched ready to just blast the daylight into him Mm -hmm. he is stone cold cool in the clutch didn't even blink finds puka nakua it wasn't the most accurate throw of the night but it was a catchable ball yep. and that is that is something that quite frankly and i don't want to put this type of expectation on him quite yet i'm not ready to crown him as like the next great husky quarterback but i'm pretty damn close mm-hmm. like that exact scenario where you go through your first read your second read 
you find your third read, but while you're looking at him, there's somebody that's ready to just like pop you right in your chin. The previous quarterbacks we've had in Husky uniforms panicked in that moment. And instead of trying to deliver the pass, they bring the ball down. They try to make a move and extend the play, break the tackle. Morris is just like, all right, I'm going to catch one on the kisser here. But he delivered a ball that again, not terribly accurate, but it was catchable. And that just is such an impressive play by the quarterback to really hang in there on a third and 10 deliver catchable ball. The second shout out goes to Puka Nakua. You know, he had a drop or two last week. He had another drop this week, but on that play made a really nice adjustment, you know, running full speed and he had a really kind of halt his body and reach back across and catch it without actually really slowing down much at all. Makes a really nice catch. And then really, impressed me with his speed i mean puka's a big receiver i think he's 6 2 210 thick mm-hmm. body but he turned on the burners man he and he yep. get down the sideline sneaky speed yeah he really covered the ground really quickly i think he surprised some of the defenders and really great run after the catch for him and then the third shout out on the play goes to ty jones who was mm-hmm. the initial read on the play going deep down the right side of the field turned into a freaking fullback lead blocker for Puka and basically drove his defender to the goal line. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a huge turning point, really that first drive set the tone from the fake punt fullback yep. dive by Jackson Sermon to convert on fourth and one fourth and inches, whatever it was. And then on second and 10 after that, Ty Jones totally burns his corner for a huge play down the sideline, but the corner basically tackled him. Mm-hmm. Obvious holding, pass interference, you know, anything Both. like anything. It was it was criminal what the guy yeah. did to Ty Jones. Illegal contact, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't get the flag. And so in that moment, it's easy to like get down on yourself, like, well, shit, we should have just gotten a first down. Instead, the next play, Dylan Morris stays cool, delivers a ball to Puka. Puka does what he you know, we're all hoping that he can do on a more consistent basis, make a great catch, great play afterwards. And then the role players on the team, like a Ty Jones being selfless and putting his body on the line, blocking for him. That's when special plays happen. And that was a special play. I know I went really in deep on that one, but it's just the total, it, it, it epitomizes everything that I found to be impressive with not only Dylan Morris for the whole game, but, the whole offense. And I know you walked away from the game equally impressed with Demo as I was. Yeah, for sure. And it's that confidence and moxie that we've been stressing so much in him. And you can just tell that he trusts himself back there. And that's just something that you don't see a lot in a young player. And how he's just, he's able to stay so cool under pressure. It's just, it's, it's really impressive for such a young player. And the other thing too, that we have to, shout out before we move on to some of these other players that we want to talk about with Dylan Morris is that he hasn't turned the ball over and he's not taking sacks and you can credit his offensive line and pass blocking his running backs have done a really good job in that as well. And tight ends obviously as well. Um, So you gotta, you really have to also shout that out as well, I think too, because those are 
those are key things that you look for in quarterbacks is taking care of that ball. And uh, for a young guy to not be turning the ball over and not even really be close to turning the ball over through a couple games. It's really impressive. Yeah. I think it's a combination of, of, you know, in terms of not being sacked yet, it's a combination of good blocking, which our offensive line and running backs have, as you mentioned, but another word that I've heard you use to describe Dylan Morris this season so far is decisive. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's really key on getting the, getting ball, the ball out. Quick. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. 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 Um, let's stay on offense here. I don't think, I mean, obviously all four running backs I thought played pretty well in this game and they all had their, their plays. So shout out to just the running back crew in general, obviously Richard Newton led, led us in category in the rushing category with eight carries for 81 yards, two touchdowns. One of them being that 54 yard touchdown uh, that ended up being our last score in the third, fourth quarter, fourth quarter. I think it was fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah that was fourth quarter. Um, but I mean, th- he didn't probably have the most impressive runs of the day. I know there's two guys that we probably want to talk about. One of them, I texted you in all caps, like, oh my God, Cam Davis. Please marry me. <laughs> Please marry me and have my children. Because um, <laughs> that dude, when he ran over three guys and carried three others for 20 yards or something like that on that yeah, play. It was 17 most, yards. I guess yeah, 17 yards is most it. impressive 17 yard run. You'll see it. Uh, the blocking was good, but like, I mean, he only got to the second level before he was getting contacted. So he was five yards downfield. So you're talking, he's going through and dragging guys for 12 yards. Yeah. And looked like he probably could have even kept going. Like it was impressive. So just from a power standpoint, huge shout outs to Cam Davis on that run. Obviously he had some other solid runs in that game as well. Um, and a couple of nice catches out of the backfield. Yep. Um, towards, towards the end of the game as well. Um, but honestly, a guy that we need to eat some crow on Sam. Yep. And I know I'll eat some humble pie. Yep. I know. I know that we talked about this a little bit off mic. But Kamari Pleasant, his touchdown run was pretty tasty. He showed a little bit of everything. He he got through the hole quick, made a quick and decisive, you know, cut at the line of scrimmage. Uh, made a guy miss, so juked out a linebacker. Turned, accelerated quickly, downfield, and then went through two guys at the goal line into the end zone, and yeah. that's about everything that you ask for in a running back right there, as far as just like he displayed every facet of a good running back on one play. So huge shout out to Kamari Pleasant as well. I thought he, he ended, he ended the day with six carries for 43 yards and a touchdown 7.2 yards a carry long of 21. I think that was that touchdown run. Yeah. Um, so a really a really solid day from him. Sean McGrew was in there as well, but I know that you probably have something else to talk about with Kamari Pleasant. So yeah, I have to jump in on this as well because I just I have to acknowledge that in this instance I, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Totally off the mark because you know 
I'm just as aware as anyone that when you have a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive scheme coming in place, it you go back to you know the starting blocks in terms of depth chart and starting running backs and carries and receivers and it's open game open season for everyone on the roster and you it's typical that when you get a new offensive coordinator certain players might fit the system or the scheme or click or gel with that coach more than others and even with me knowing all of those things and have seen it happen before all over the football field with different new coaches and players that you know were buried in a depth chart all of a sudden become contributors even knowing all of that I felt like Kamari Pleasant had shown so little as a running back up until this season that I was willing to be dismissive of that opportunity dismissive of Kamari Pleasant's work ethic in the offseason and you know he's put on a lot of weight he looks good but man he actually looks like a really solid running back he's mm-hmm. he's got significantly improved vision yep. he's you know being more decisive in choosing his hole he's really using his body to his advantage and running behind his pads like you said bulldozing two guys over at the goal line so you know without trying to sound too corny it has been a pleasant surprise <laughs> well done pudding ching uh yeah, for sure. So well done, Kamari, and keep it up. But I mean this 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 four running back tandem and they all bring us something a little bit different, but they're all great in their own way. And they're working really well together. John Donovan's dialing up great plays for them to all succeed in. And um I I think I think we can agree that Cam Davis is is the best back. Yeah, he's the most talented. He's the best running back, um, but also the most unproven. So he's still got a lot to prove, and I think he will. And you'll see more and more carries. I mean, he only had two carries, I think, in the last game, and then he had eight in this one. So you're already seeing his his share and his workload go up. Yep. And and maybe he does end up kind of becoming a little bit more of the feature back. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I, I see that happening next year. Yeah. Um, I- but but – but going back to that, I just I want to say that as far as if we're eating crow, like I I remember calling out in one of our preview episodes earlier this season or going into the season that I don't typically believe in running back by committee. I have always seen teams succeed a lot more if they have a bell cow back and then someone to compliment them, like on third downs or short yardage situations or as a passing out of the backfield pass protection kind of back. Um, but I'm, I, I, I'm all on board for this running back on by committee. Cause this, this four headed monster of running backs is legit. And obviously a lot of that credit our offensive line, they're making some great holes for these guys to run through. And I think most decent running backs in and the Pac-12 would have success in this offense running running the football, but you also have to give credit to these running backs because they are they're doing it and they're all doing it in their own way. So, I'm I'm pleased with our running game. 
Yeah, I think it's great to shout out the offensive line there. Shoot, I'll throw in the tight ends while we're at it because it's a great segue to yeah. the next shout out player that we have. For sure. Kate Otten had a hell of a game, both Oof. in terms of receiving and just being the stud blocker that we have all known him to be and really pitching in his his fair share in terms of the dirty work that the running backs get to reap the benefits from. But he had a day receiving. He had seven receptions for 100 yards, 14 yards on average, 14.3 yards average per catch, one touchdown, long of 29. And he is a surefire starting on your fantasy football roster tight yeah. end next yeah. year. He wears number 87, and he might not be as dynamic of an athlete, although I think you could debate it. He's a he lot more athletic like, than people give him credit for, and he, he looks runs like good Gronk. routes. He yeah. looks like Gronk. Yep. Dude, I, he's so, big. He's fluid. He's got hands. And can I cut you off just for a second? Yeah, like, go for it. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. So Washington has a pretty rich history with tight ends. I mean, we've had some really good ones. You go back to Mark Bruner, and then you have, you know, ASJ, obviously, while we were in school. You have Jeremy Stevens back in the 2000s. Ernie Conwell, Cam Cleland. Yep, Cam Cleland's another good shout-out. Um, obviously, Will Disley and Drew Sample, you're seeing those guys play in the NFL Joshua on Sundays. Perkins is in Joshua the NFL. Perkins is also in the NFL. Um, Darrell Daniels, also in the NFL. So... Tight end you. Obviously, obviously a very rich and storied tradition in tight ends. I think Kate Otten might have the most upside out of out of all of them. Yeah. I think Kate Otten is just the best because tight of how end. just because of how well rounded his game is. Like yeah. he he is as solid of a blocker blocking tight end as you're going to get. And he's still putting up seven receptions for a hundred yards. Obviously he's Dylan Morris's most trusted target. He doesn't fucking drop the ball. We're talking about wide receiver drops. None of those came from Kate Otten. No, he's not dropping the ball. And he runs solid routes, really feels the game, sits down in zones, does it all. He can do yards after the catch too. We haven't seen a lot of it yet this year, but he can definitely run through some dudes and, you know, make some guys miss in the open field as well. So I'm fully expecting to see that on display here at some point. But you talk about, I think one of our, one of the things that we talked about in our game preview, as far as getting Dylan Morris kind of more involved in the offense. And we shouted out the running backs as far as their role in the passing game and getting them some touches just as far as easy throws. But Kate Otten was another one that we talked about getting him involved in this, this offense. And it's something that Jimmy talked about too, after that, Oregon State game that they didn't get Kate enough touches and to see him go off in this game was just a really really cool thing to see and um, I'm expecting Cade to really build on that and even take it to the next level here over the, the course of this season yeah I couldn't agree more I think he's arguably one of the best players on our team one of yeah. the best players in the pac 12 and like i said his game is just picture perfect for the nfl game yep. in the tight end position right now with his versatility he can do it all he's in that you know 
I don't even want to compare him to anyone because he is so damn well-rounded. Maybe like a George Kittle. Yeah, that's a good one. Dude, we, guy that we didn't even shout out as far as tight ends, Hunter Bryant, the guy that he's replacing. Yeah, Hunter offense. Bryant. Yeah, I mean, Hunter obviously Bryant's a, more obviously like an H back. But... Yeah, a different style of player, but like we were, we were wondering what that tight end position was going to look like, especially with Jacob Kaiser not being there. Yeah, but obviously, like Westover and Redmond are filling in well in those positions. But Kate Otten is, you know, the leader in this group by far. And yeah, and I think he's a leader in the locker room. Mm-hmm. He's a blue collar, hard nosed guy, selfless. You don't see him you know, calling attention to himself. Mm -hmm. He's out there, got the best hands on the team right now. He doesn't even freaking wear football gloves. He don't need them. (laughs) He's just a good old country boy. A couple pieces of tape tape on his fingers. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, he is just a total stud. You want, you want 11 guys like Kate Otten on offense and 11 more of them on defense. Cause that's just, he's a straight up football player. And like we, we called out, in our offensive preview episode way back at, before the season, his football lineage is well-storied. His mm-hmm. grandfather's the most winningest high school football coach in Washington state history. He's got a younger brother. Keep yep. an eye out. Ryan Otten mm-hmm. is a senior in high school this year and highly recruited too. highly recruited looks a lot like his older brother <laughs> and he's going to look just as good as his older brother does in purple and gold. Cause he he's coming North for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, um, but yeah, that'd... just go ahead. One, no, go one ahead. more, one more quick shout out to the tight end room. You kind of had mentioned him, but Mark Redman had a really good game filling mm-hmm. in into that third tight end position when we went three tight and getting his feet wet because we're, I guess I'll pose this question to you. How badly do you think we're going to need him next year? And what I'm really asking you is, is Kate Otten gone? Oh, for sure. He's gone, dude. You think? Yeah. He's the kind of guy that just might just say, you know what? I love football. I love university. He's kind of got a little Jake Locker in him. He might come back. Yeah, I've never spoken to the guy. I don't have any kind of inside info or anything like that. But just looking strictly at his playing potential, he's ready. He should. Yeah, he should. There's nothing left for him to prove. Yeah. Um, if, If obviously the academics, like if he wants to finish school or something like that, or, you know, if he wants to come back and compete for a national title on with like a full year kind of thing, like, I mean, that's, that's all, that's all, that's all there like that. Those are real, those are real factors, obviously, that weigh into a, a decision to go to the NFL. I think but, that's going to be a harder decision for him to make. And I think it's going to be a much closer decision. You're probably right. Then most people are going to think from the outside in. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm just saying he's ready. Like, I mean, I wouldn't count on him being back. If, if I was tasked me. with making the decision that's best for the financial future of his family and <laughs> himself, uh, yeah, the NFL is ready to pay him a couple million bucks every year. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, anyone else that you wanted to shout out on offense? I have one more, but Go I wanted it. to give you – okay. Jalen McMillan could have had a really good game. Yeah, he could have. He is explosive. Yeah, he took the top off of Arizona's defense a couple times. And um, one of them, you could call it a drop. It wasn't really a drop. It was a really good player, but really good play by the defender. Yeah. For a that touchdown, just, for a would be touchdown. Like, I, I think that, that was up as good defense. Yeah. Um, 
but still, I mean, I think probably you asked Jimmy like that question and he's like, yeah, you should come down with that ball. So there was a hand, there was a hand in there by the defender, but still, I think Jalen can probably catch that ball in the future. You're talking yep. next year. He's probably catching that ball. And then another time when Dylan Morris just missed him. And then he also had a, another drop, I think at some point on a shorter yeah, so- route that would have gone long. Well, then he maybe even had another drop because he took the top off the defense again on a deep, skinny post. Yeah. And Dylan Morris made a pretty damn good throw. And at first, I've watched this play a couple of times, and I really can't decide if I felt like it was a drop or if it was an overthrow. Mm -hmm. Because McMillan did have his arms totally stretched out, and it hit both of his hands. I think it it probably should have been a catch. It was fingertips, and that was like on the goal line. That was going to be another Mm -hmm. touchdown, Mm -hmm. and they didn't quite connect on that one. But McMillan is getting separation in the deep parts of the football field that we haven't seen since John Ross. Yeah, for sure. So definitely something to keep your eye on in in the next few games to see because he obviously – he played a lot more in this Arizona game. Yeah, I'd be interested to see snap counts. So. Um, yeah, we should, we should probably go back and check that, but it definitely felt like he was on the field a lot more and definitely involved in the offense a lot more. They were calling his number. Um, also had another nice run on a, on a reverse that I think if he, he, he's probably making that guy miss probably eight or nine times out of 10. And that's, that's going for another, you know, 20 or 30 yards, at least if not for a touchdown. So yeah, game of inches, a couple inches go his way. He's having, you know, arguably the most prolific game by a freshman wide receiver maybe ever in Washington history. I mean, it would have been 200, maybe 200 plus yards receiving or from Mm -hmm. the line of scrimmage, two or three touchdowns. It would have been something to see, but suffice to say the home run threat that you talked up in, in, in our preview episodes. So Jalen McMillan, he's, he's, he, the hype's there. The hype is there. Oh yeah, he's not quite living up to it yet, but he's he's close. Like he's he's got to get. I think just a better ball on him from from Dylan Morris. Continue to get opportunities, obviously, in this offense, and you're going to see that. The one critique I think that Sam and I both agreed on is Dylan Morris has to work on his deep ball a little bit more. He's overthrown yeah. his receivers by a healthy margin on a lot of these deep shots, which. I think part of it's just adrenaline, and he's he's juiced up and excited to get a big play, you know, and as yeah. any as any young player would be. Also, I'm wondering if he's just, you know, he'd rather miss long than short. And obviously, that's an easy way for us to not turn the ball over if he's missing long. At the same time, you're not giving a receiver a chance at all. So, right, there's some debate there, I think, but. I think that's that's one area of Dylan Morris's game that I'd like to see him improve on. And I, I fully expect that he will. So. Yeah, and the beautiful thing is they're both freshmen. Yep. 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 You're gonna see this, you're gonna see those two guys hooking up for for a long time here. Which brings me to say, Sam. I know we I know what you're gonna say, and I and I'll be honest, I've been thinking about it quite a bit. I mean Sam Hewer to shoe in next year to be a starter at quarterback. I mean, if Dylan Morris yeah. is, you know, taking this team where we think that it could go as far as, you know, winning the North and competing for a Pac-12 championship and 
solidifying himself as the commander in chief of this offense. Can you really unseat that guy with a true freshman, even if he's a five-star recruit? Yes, you can, because Sam Heward is the best high school quarterback I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But it is not a shoe-in. Like it's I Dylan Morris's it job be. to lose at that point, though. I don't think I don't think it's yes. like I don't think it's a true quarterback competition. No, like Dylan, were... Dylan Morris is getting first snaps, yes. and Sam Heward's got to overly prove himself if he's going to be taking that seat away from Dylan Morris. Yeah, if you're a Husky is, fan, we're talking two is... game two games into this year. Like, I mean, this is definitely like fan talk here. Because no, that's, no, that's bullshit. That's bullshit because. The things it's how he's doing it, Connor, is yeah. what makes me feel so confident about it. It's not that he's just like lighting it up or you know, he's not putting up But crazy Sam, he's only played Oregon anything. State he's only played Oregon State in Arizona. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I'm saying that in jest. So I know you are. I know you're gonna get me fired up here. <laughs> I want we're to. doing the you're lucky we're doing this shit virtual. I'm telling you what. Well, that and I'm and we're probably lucky we're not doing this right after the game because man, oh yeah, I was in some state of mind last night at this time of night. So. <laughs> yeah, I was having a good time, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, let's not put the cart before the horse, so to speak, and enjoy yep. what we have for now. But as a Husky fan, this quarterback be... battle could not have ended up so far into the season any better than it has in my mind. For sure, it's going to be a fun fun off-season topic as as we kind of get into the, you know late winter and spring see right for sure all right let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball then and first guy on 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 this list we've already talked about him but i mean we have we have a bona fide pass rusher in zion and it's i thought you were gonna go for it <laughs> Tupa Tupaloa Fatui. I I know the Fatui part. I can never because I always mix that up with Tupatala. Yeah, it's yeah. So that's that's like I I always like want to say Tupatala Fatui, but it's yeah, it's so. Anyway, it's a hard ZTF one. ZTF. We're just, we're just gonna call him ZTF. Yep, I I did almost go for it though. You're right. All right, I could I could feel it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So ZTF, again, just another stellar day. Multiple pressures like we talked about. Two more sacks, um, close to a third, and close to another um, another forced fumble as well. He was, I think he was honestly like inches away from getting his hand on, on the ball on one of his pass rushes. Um, so really, really coming into his own. And Obviously, some other guys on the defensive line stood out as well. Ryan Bowman, you mentioned, had a had a good game. He had a sack, um, but by far and away, ZTF I think is is the name to be talking about. And by the way, we should mention he was the Pac-12 Defensive Lineman of the Week last week after the Oregon State game. So, and probably again this week, might be, might be. Two There's sacks. a chance. Yeah, two sacks. He doesn't. He doesn't have the two forced fumbles this week like he did last week, but it's possible. What a regression, man! <laughs> Come on. I mean, he's Keep coming back to the mean. He's coming back to the mean now. So yeah. he's got to. He's got to. You know, upward that trajectory well, again. You know, there is a stat out there. 
Well, it's not going to be recorded as a stat, like a four, like two forced fumbles or whatnot. But he did practically make the opposing quarterback cry, so that's got to be worth something. Oh man, Grant Cannell, buddy, it was a bad look. He... <laughs> if you guys have not watched the game from last night, go back and watch the replay. We shouted out basically every week, but the Husky archive on YouTube always has the full replays of these games. Even just watch the highlights. I'm sure they'll show clips of Grant Cannell and his misty face, just like looking at like basically kind of off into the distance in the camera. Like why, why me? Why am I here? They're so mean guys. It's, it's cold out. So this guy's ETF hit me too hard. He did. Mm, I need a, um, need a pumpkin spice latte blah 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 um <laughs> yeah he had a rough night he did he sorry did. bud yeah he, he had a good fourth quarter against our second and third stringers so let, make, maybe you got some confidence there but uh, doubt it that was against that was against inferior competition at that point so um i thought overall though beyond ztf we tackled really well in this game um, sure did and you you actually called that out last week as one of the keys to getting brightwell contained is yeah get him on the ground yeah and we pursued like we, we pursued really well too like if if there were any there weren't a lot of missed tackles honestly like if there were pursues it was just like a, like three guys getting to the ball carrier wasn't a lot of like get like one guy misses and then two other guys are wrapping up um but it was nice to see multiple purple and gold defenders around a ball carrier on nearly especially running plays but like almost every play like they were really rallying to the ball and that, that just shows like a team that's just fired up to be out there and jimmy lake's really doing a great job at keeping these guys you know we talk about obviously keeping them clean with covid and stuff like that like that's such an underrated part of coaching this year yeah like that's the seahawks have really done a great job there i think they're the only nfl team to not have a positive test on as from a player this that's year. Wild. So that's, I mean, that's an amazing accomplishment so far through two weeks. UW is in the same boat. So credit the credit, the coaching staff for that, but also just like, obviously like preparation and getting these guys in the right mindset because these guys are playing hungry. Like, and you really saw, saw that on display. Jimmy talks about it every week. These guys are fired up to be out there. They're excited to be playing. Like they want to be out there playing football. And those are the types of guys that you really want on your team. And Jimmy does a great job of recruiting those guys. And it goes back to the whole OKG thing that Chris Peterson has instilled in him, our kind of guys. And pretty, pretty happy to be saying that all these all these guys are our kind of guys. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the leader of the defense, without a question, Elijah Molden, you know, had to talk about someone tackling well. I know that's where I'm going with this. A stereotypical, quietly dominant game, just like kind of how his Husky career has gone. He's not the flashiest yeah. guy and doesn't come up on, you know, blow the stat sheet up, so to speak. But there were two tackles that I can remember specifically where we were outnumbered on the wide side of the field where they had three wide receivers to in one play, it was just Molden and the others, it was just Molden and one other guy. They throw a quick screen to the wide receiver. They have two blockers 
Molden attacks the blockers on one play, physically out muscles them, makes a tackle for like one yard gain. Mm-hmm. The other one, he slips through like a slinky cat and just blows up the play. I mean, that is like three on one, and the guy gets the job done twice yeah. in this game. He is so good, and he's so quietly good throughout the game where you never see him get beat. You never see him in the wrong spot or miss a tackle. He had a couple – oh, my gosh, just coming to me right now. He put the hurt on their tight end who was way bigger than he was, and yep. he came up and put a lick on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And he, he's he got that in him, obviously. So, honestly, I think the, the plays that impressed me the most about Elijah is how quickly he pursues the ball right at the line of scrimmage and just how sure of a tackler he is in that area of the field. And he's a lot yeah. of the time on an island at that point. So, he's got if he's not bringing that guy down, that – ball carriers probably going another four or five yards at least if not getting a first down if it's like a first and 10 situation right. or something like that so those are the types of plays that they, they show up as a tackle on a stat sheet but they really weigh more than just a tackle on a on a stat sheet just because of the, the trend that that sets and the precedent that that sets for the rest of that drive yeah and the risk that or you know the opportunity that it mitigates for the right. other team Right. If you go into like some elite, obviously uh, advanced data metrics and stuff like that, you'll see that pop up there. But those aren't typically available, readily available to us on, on yeah. like ESPN.com. So, um, but yeah. So obviously a, a really nice, really nice day for Elijah as well. I think we got to give Eddie another shout out. Um, really strong day for him. Didn't quite have the tackle numbers that he had against Oregon State, but that was because the tackles were going kind of like all around the place and the also the defensive line played a lot better so a lot of time they weren't even getting to eddie so he ended up with five tackles though all solo um including a sack for and a forced fumble so he had that big forced fumble earlier in the game while he was being held Held, he drew the penalty as well that was an aggressive play he's turning into quite a good pass rusher from that middle linebacker position and he's showing some things that like he's going to have a shot at the next level based on what he shows on tape in college. Yeah. And we talk about how John Donovan called a good game. Pete Kukowski deserves a lot of praise as far as how he called this game as well. Cause he piled eh. up some nice. Okay. I expect it from Pete Kukowski. I get it. But like, I mean, he died. Like we have, we weren't expecting this kind of pressure rate from the Huskies. This That's year. true. That's like true. I, I don't. I don't up some exotic, like not exotic blitzes, but just some good looks for and good situations for his players to succeed in. So yeah, I should clarify. I'm My response happy. is a sarcastic response, noting just how damn good of a defensive coordinator he has been for so long that you come to expect these things and take it for granted. It's like looking at Mount Rainier as somebody who was born here my entire life, and it's like this magnificent volcano. But you just have to remind yourself to not take that for granted because you don't get that everywhere. And Kwiatkowski is like the Mount Rainier of defensive coordinators. He's (laughs) been here for a long time. He's had, you know, the number one defense in the Pac-12 every single year. He's been the sole defensive coordinator. And with the way that the year's going, I 
would likely anticipate us to be at the top of the Pac-12 in most defensive categories by the end of the year based on what we saw on Saturday. It, Connor, your point is totally valid, called a gem of a game. Yeah, and obviously we said the whole the whole, whole coaching staff really nailed this game. I think they just put their, their players in such good positions to – to produce and do well and um, produce to the level that like they like to their highest level, you know? So, and we saw some players flash in this game and these are just a few of them, but the last one that I really want to mention, unless you have anyone else on defense that you want to mention, which this is another defender too, but we talked about him earlier in the game is Kyler Gordon. I mean, and we talked about this off mic, Sam, Jimmy Lake is a fiery guy and he gets fired up and especially when he's the defensive coordinator to get fired up when they got like a fourth down stop or a turnover or whatever in years past. But the single guy that he was getting fired up for the most in this game was Kyler Gordon after a big kickoff coverage tackle or um, when he down the, down the ball at the one yard line. I mean, Kyler Gordon is making those plays that go like, that typically go unnoticed, but those are winning plays. Like you, that's how you fucking win football games is yeah. a player like Kyler Gordon and the things that he's doing. Cause those are like so underappreciated as far as how good he is in those situations. So I know you're about all aboard the Kyler Gordon hype train, you Archbishop Murphy alum. So please go off about your boy. Yeah. I mean, I'm just waiting for him to get a look as a full-time defensive starter because... He was in there again more this week. He was. He came in on a couple of drives and filled in for Keith Taylor. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's anything to worry about, injury-related or anything like that. I think, again, like we saw against Oregon State, they're playing with the defensive back rotation, trying to figure out how to get the best five on the field. Yep. But to your point, I mean... Talk about an OKG, Kyler Gordon, highly recruited high school player, you know, came down to choosing between staying home at UW or going to Notre Dame. I know the fighting Irish wanted him really bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times those highly recruited players, you know, he was the star athlete in high school all four years he was there. They have an ego and this is his third year in the program. And he has not had significant, consistent defensive snaps. Yep. But that has never stopped him from making an impact and carving out a role for himself on this team. Mm-hmm. To your point, Connor, around, you know, again, coming off a bad week of kickoff coverage against Oregon State, he came out and set the tone early. He had two tackles yep. early in the game. He had three tackles on special teams on kickoff coverage, I think. Yeah, and the first two, it was all him shedding blocks, being the first man down there, getting the kick returner on the ground. And that's where Jimmy Lake was the most fired up of all was, Mm. you know, seeing that progress week over week. And then, you know, I was sitting there again, just like you mentioned it off the top of the podcast, race Porter and Kyler Gordon have something special going right now. And we've seen Kyler Gordon do this in years past as well. And he's become an elite special teams gunner and as silly as it sounds and it's just a testament to connor's point about how underappreciated that role goes guys make a living in the nfl 
Yep. Doing what Kyler Gordon is doing for the Huskies right now. And if Kyler Gordon never realizes his potential as a defensive back, whether that's safety or corner, he can stick in the NFL for years and make millions of dollars just doing what he does in terms of special teams coverages and downing punts inside the five-yard line. Think of like Ricardo Lockett or Heath Farwell or Nico Thorpe. Nico Thorpe, yep. Or whatever I forget his first name, but Maragos did it for a while. Maragos was good at it too. Yeah. And let's be honest, I fully expect Kyler Gordon to realize his potential. Yeah. As a mainstay on this defense, whether it's later on this season or next year. But it's just awesome and you know, a testament to the uncommon unity that Jimmy Lake praises and talks about and that this team really plays for themselves and they're they're selfless they play for each other and you have an elite athlete doing this the dirty work on this team and that's when special things happen for the team yeah and yeah love to see it yeah for sure and it's it's obviously the biggest role that that plays directly in the game is field position but more than that it's it's a morale type role like it's that unselfish role that like we've already said is underappreciated and you talked about this earlier off mike sam when you talked about uh jimmy's reaction to those plays was measured like you could like that's a good coach because he's hyping up a dude that typically goes on like like it's like an unheralded type of role that kyler Mm -hmm. gordon has typically and he's hyping up that that role as if a dude like the dude just picked off a pass and housed it and he's doing that on purpose because he wants to see other guys buy into that and have that same type of attitude that kyler approaches the game with which is make winning plays at all times and if you have that like stemmed into kyler and jimmy hyping that up and other guys see that that's when you start really building something special like you were saying sam because if you have all these guys making winning plays that's what builds a championship team and that's the ultimate goal so contagious and to your point i think you know goes back to my high level takeaway from the game is i just could not be more impressed from what i've seen from jimmy lake as a head coach and this coaching staff whether it is how he motivates and reacts and, you know, goes crazy on the sidelines for certain plays and certain players. It's very calculated. And for sure. I like what I'm seeing from our head ball coach right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I hope we can hold on to him for a long time. Just say that. I think, I think we can. I don't, I don't see Jimmy Lake ever leaving the university of Washington for another college coaching job. Correct. That's a, but that's I a good way of putting that. think that he has NFL aspirations. He definitely does, but that's a good way of putting that. So, yeah. Um, and obviously topic, a guy that, topic, he, topic for another day, probably yeah, a, a guy that's been <laughs> in the NFL before, but yeah, definitely a topic for the, for another day. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think those are kind of like the main guys that I really wanted to shout out. I don't know if you had anyone else, Sam. I mean, I'm running down this list at, Terrell Bynum, again, that end around looks like a solid play. And I I haven't seen someone execute that as well as he is since probably Dante. Yeah. So he looks good in that role. 
I think also defensively, I think Asa Turner had a much better game. He had he a did. couple of big hits in the backfield. Yeah. You know, what a big I honestly completions. That, that one that one hit that he broke up the pass on. It was kind of weird because I felt like he gave up too quick on that play to try to make a play on the ball. Yeah. And he went right to the defender. Like he turned his head and went right to the defender after he saw like ball in mid flight. I think he could have picked that pass off. No, you're totally right. If you watch the replay, I don't remember who the other defensive player was next to Alex. around was the area. Cook? I think it might have been Alex Cook. But when they stood up and looked at each other, the other Husky defensive back kind of said something or gave him this look yeah. that was like, dude, you should have just picked the ball off, but like yeah. good play. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a hell of a hit and credit, credit Acer for that. I mean, I'm just saying that I called Acer Turner to lead the team in interceptions. So I'm a little salty that he didn't come. He didn't make that play on the ball. But I think he'll get some more. He think, was he's he looking was pretty solid back there. He's he he looked a lot more active in this game. For sure was definitely a bigger part of the game plan. So Yep, absolutely. But I think those are the the main ones that really stood out to me for so cool. Oh, actually one one other one. I guess you you talked about him earlier, but um I want to talk about a little bit of a different aspect of his game, but Ty Jones. Mm-hmm. He had two. He only had two catches for thirty-three yards. Both of them were big third-down conversions, though. And Morris delivered strikes to him, but like one of those, I think, was a was a catch in traffic. Got hit by two guys right after he caught like the ball. An awkward held on. hit. Yeah. So held on to the ball. So if he's going to be a third-down outlet receiver for for um, for Morris, uh, he seems like a really solid option. As well as obviously we've we've already talked about it, but. He's got to be one of the best wide receiving wide receiving blockers downfield in college. Like he is physical and he will take his guy. I mean, he's he's bigger than most of these guys that he's lined up, up on, but he will take that guy and he will just continuously drive him back until the play's over and typically onto the ground. So yeah. Definitely if you haven't if you haven't yet, folks, next time you're watching a husky game, watch 88 out there, especially on on runs to his side of the, the field because he's a lot of time that ceiling block on the outside that springs some of these longer runs. And you'll see him running right in front of that running back, basically sealing off the last last defender. So, Yeah, that's a really good shout-out. He's similar to Kyler. He's kind of done the dirty work on the offensive side of the ball that yeah. sometimes – goes unnoticed but again like you're saying it's a winning player a winning play that makes a big difference in the game yeah for sure um we can touch real quick on i mean a lot of positives obviously in this game and um we always want to stress those more than the negatives but there were still again like we said that there was a couple things that you hope to probably see them improve hope to see them improve throughout the rest of the season. And the biggest thing that st- stood out again in this game was some of the wide receiver drops, especially in some key third down situations. You saw another one from Puka. You saw two drops from Jalen McMillan. Um, you saw a drop from Romo Duze. It was, I think, on a third down as well. Yep. So obviously some some freshman struggles in the wide receiver group as far as hanging on to the ball. So at least at this early early part of the year. 
I'm glad that they're giving those guys some opportunities, though, and I don't think they're going to waver from that. Um, just because I think those both of those guys have so much potential, and you've just like seen flashes of it, but they just need to finish the play. Um, mm-hmm. So keep giving those guys some opportunities, and I think I think the wide receiver drops will will fix themselves at some point this year. I think some of it again. I think I, I think I talked about this last ep, last episode is some of these wide receiver drops, I think are a testament to reps, like as far as yep. just like them getting the feel for Dylan Morris and his ball and his ball flight and, you know, what he likes to do in certain situations with the ball and where he likes to deliver the ball in certain situations. So like, I mean, I think, I think you'll you'll see that chemistry work itself out throughout the year, especially as Dylan gets a little bit more catered to these receivers as well. But I mean, this is this goes back to the whole quarterback competition thing and leaving it to like basically the last week is you're splitting those reps in practice, and those reps matter, especially whenever it comes to you know if guys have different throwing styles and receivers are catching balls from different guys that makes an impact on their ability to catch the ball in a game. Yeah, for sure. We got to get that cleaned up. We saw, I, I generally feel like there's a, there was a little bit of progress made there. Week yeah. Over week I thought in terms of, I thought it was better. Ball. I thought it was better. Puka's was like, I mean, that was, that was bad. Yeah. That was a bad drop. Maybe the reason why I feel that way is because we passed the ball to Cade Otten a lot, yeah. who, as we mentioned earlier, um, you don't doesn't, drop the ball. doesn't really drop the ball ever. So that you don't put the ball on the ground. Yeah, that might have had something to do with it, but that's something we have to keep an eye on. We need to continue to improve there and and make sure we're helping our quarterback out. Yeah. Dylan Morris played a much better game than his completion percentage would suggest for, sure. for the yeah, second 60%. week in a row. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I would have expected more more than that too, just like watching it live. I was a little thrown off. I think at halftime he he was like 10 of 18 or something like that. And I was like, man, that he's, he's playing really well. It doesn't seem like he had yeah. eight incompletions, but not all that's on him. So I think I, some of that is him missing some deep, deep balls. Like yep. he's just overthrowing guys. So that's probably half of those. And then the other half are drops. So, yeah, he's been pretty damn solid on the short to intermediate routes. For sure. Yeah. And again, like he's just got that clutch factor, man. Like he delivers the ball so well on third down and hangs in that pocket for so long right to the last second right before he's about to take a huge hit delivers the ball on time where it needs to be and that's when guys are making plays for him so it's it's just it's it's good to see that from such such a young player yeah for sure i think to your point earlier like again we don't want to dwell on the negatives of this game but Mm -hmm. If you are on Twitter, you might follow a former Husky defensive lineman, Jordan Reffitt. He's pretty involved with, I think he's held some, you know, sportscaster anchor positions on some Northwest local sports talk shows. But he had some pretty, it seemed like he had a rough ending to the game. He was pretty fired up about us giving up 27 points in the fourth quarter, which I know, Connor, you were as well. I didn't really like it, but at the end of the day, it was, you know, not only just our second stringers, but I noticed we were, you know, 
probably there were definitely third stringers in there. Third stringers in there as well. So if again, if we're sitting here nitpicking and trying to find takeaways, you know, that we can improve upon, you'd like to see your depth perform better than that. Yeah. But I also think that's a positive too. There's a lot of teaching moments there. And for sure. It's not like the the typical mop up duty where they get, you know, four snaps and they're just running plays because the other team is just ready to get on the bus. Our second and third stringers had a full quarter of experience and they struggled. Some of them played decent, but that is so important to the development of those players, particularly in a shortened, you know, non eligible or doesn't count against their eligibility type season Mm -hmm. to get, you know, 12, 15 minutes of playing time in a game like this is so important to their development. And they are going to be asked to contribute to this team sooner rather than later. So again, well, I would have liked to have seen them, you know, ultimately keep the donut on the board and go for the shutout. You know, I never feel good about the Huskies letting someone score 27 points in a quarter, but Long term, I honestly kind of like it. Yeah, it's it. I, I think I I think I mentioned this like pretty quickly off the bat in the episode. Just like that's teaching tape. I mean, like like you just said too, is that's now now those guys are on tape in a game, and a lot of them it was their first time out there, so yep. it's it's good to get those guys not only exposed just to the speed of the game, but also be able to actually get in the film room and see themselves on field in a game situation, see how they perform, what they screwed up on, what they can do better next time. And you're going to see tremendous growth out of a lot of those players. And I fully expect like if next, if, if, you know, hopefully we're up in the next game, you know, 44 to zero or 37 to zero or whatever in the fourth quarter. And those guys get to go back in there again. And I fully expect that they would, they would perform better. And yeah, in, in the next time. So totally agree. And this actually jogs my memory of one more individual player I want to shout out is sure. true freshman Savelle Smalls. Oh, yeah. Good had, shout a, out. had a really good game. Mm-hmm. He didn't get in on as many pass rush. You know, in the Oregon State game, he was in for maybe mm-hmm. a handful of plays. And on two or three of them, he was like right in the quarterback's face. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a ton of pass rush from him this week. But again, Kind of the topic of the episode is week over week improvement. Savelle yeah. Smalls didn't play a lot in the Oregon State game because he was getting bullied in the run game and gave up a couple of big plays to Jamar Jefferson and the Oregon State backs. He really played pretty well this week in the run mm-hmm. game, setting mm-hmm. the edge, playing physical, shedding his blocks. He had, I think, one or two tackles. One of them, he sh- you know, beautifully shed a block met the running back one-on-one and the, it looked like the running back ran into the great wall of China and yeah. just like, it was a crumpled. Yeah. And Savelle has some tood to him. <laughs> he he got up and he wanted to let everybody know that he just basically broke this guy in half. <laughs> and I love to see that from some young players that have that passion and can really bring that death row mantra back to life. And I think I look, to someone like Savelle Smalls to really carry that on his back. 
for sure. That's a really good shout out. And I really do want to, I want to speak to Savelle real quick. He's like, he, that whole sequence that you're referring to right now, Sam, was like the perfect epitome of what Jimmy Lake preaches of his players over, like facing adversity and overcoming that. And this is like something that he stressed a lot this year because of obviously 2020, there's been a lot of adversity thrown everyone's way, right? And life is going to throw adversity to you. You have to overcome that. It's huge life lessons, blah, 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 blah. Um, on, on that sequence, I don't know if you remember, but one of the two longer runs that Gary Brightwell pulled off against us was the first in 10 play on, on that sequence that we're referring to. And, uh, Savelle, I don't know if he really actually had outside contain on that on that play, but he definitely should have been taking a better angle at the ball carrier on that play, and he let Gary Brightwell get outside of him and go for you know twenty yards or whatever it was. Um, so that's the first play. Next two plays are runs relatively up the middle, and he comes back and is in on both of those plays. So that's yeah. just like that's someone that like made a mistake, short memory, got over it, comes back, makes two plays. Like you don't see that from freshmen very, very often. You'll see them come up, give up a play like that and they'll hang their head or they'll get subbed out or whatever. Obviously I credit the coaching staff for leaving them out there too. And being able to, you know, take it upon himself to make up for that lost play that he had. And I think they ended up winning a thir third and long situation. And I think we ended up getting a, I think that ended up being one of Zion's sacks right after that. And they're punting the ball. So a kid that I'm expecting a bunch more plays from, obviously, and they're going to be, there's going to be way sexier plays that he makes throughout the season. As far as sacks that we talk about, maybe some forced fumbles, some big hits in the open field or in the backfield, like tackles for loss. Um, but we saw some glimpses of it in this game. And that was, that was promising. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm looking forward to see, seeing continued growth from number 17, and I think he'll continue carving out more of a consistent role for himself on this defense for sure. Yeah. I think that's probably going to wrap most of our notes from the game and kind of our 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 review of the game. Obviously, a, a big statement victory, I think, and not necessarily a statement because of the opponent, but just in the way that we in the way that we won and how different it looked from the previous week. And like Sam was saying earlier in the episode, looks like these guys can win in different ways, which that's, again, a recipe recipe for a championship-style team is being able to win football games in different ways. Um, that being said, this next week is very up in the air right now. And Sam and I talked about right off the bat that Apple Cup is is – at least definitely a no-go this week. Um, some are saying it's canceled. Others are saying they're going to try to make it, make it happen later in the year. We'll see what happens. A lot of that is outside of their control, I think. But um, there's probably three potential opponents that we could play this week. And Sam and I aren't going to record another episode until we know who that opponent would be. And I think Sam and I are both pretty confident we will, like UW is going to, schedule a game for this weekend and like yeah. we're 95% sure that's the case. Jen Cohen's been on the phone since this whole issue started with Wazoo last Friday. So she's been in touch with schools trying to make something happen. And the three schools that 
we could possibly play, it sounds like, are BYU is the one that's being mentioned the most right now. They don't have a game this week. They don't play another game until December 12th, so they obviously have an opening. But just like those kitties over on the other side of the state, they scared. They, they yeah. So they're they, they scared of the dogs. There, there are conflicting reports, but um, it's sounding like BYU is obviously a highly ranked team this year. They're eighth in the country right now. Sam and I both agree that they are definitely not worthy of that number eight ranking and. I think Sam and I also both agree that this would be the opponent that we want to face just because we want to test ourselves against a quote unquote top 10 team um, and really put some eyeballs on us from a national perspective. From BYU standpoint here, they're number eight. The first uh, college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday. So uh, the 24th of November and BYU's story is that they want to wait until Tuesday to decide if they want to play this game to see where they are in the college football playoff. They obviously only have one more game this year. They've played no one. Their best win against is against Boise State. They're obviously undefeated, but they've played no one. Um, yeah, here, let me tell you who they played so far. Yeah, go for it. They've played Navy. They've played Troy, Louisiana Tech, University of Texas, San Antonio, of course, not the Longhorns. (laughs) Houston, Texas, State, again, not the Longhorns. Western Kentucky, and then Boise State, and then, wow, oh my gosh, they dominated win 66-14 to against University of Northern Arizona. The number North Alabama? Was it? I don't know. Doesn't make a difference. Yeah. That might even be worse. Yeah. It, it, that would be worse, I think. Nine and zero, number yeah. eight team in the country. They don't want none. They yeah. do not want none of what and these dogs are barking up. So, for more perspective, this game would be played in Seattle. I don't know really know why the that would be the case. I, I would need to do some research on that. But all reports that I've heard is if this game does happen, it would be in Seattle, and it would likely be on Saturday. Um, so that's one 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 possibility. Zach um, Wilson would look would look like an eighth grader. Yeah, you're probably right. And I want this to happen so bad if you can't tell. I can't I know, stop so. talking about it. I, I can't it. stop thinking about it because this is the type of game that puts this Husky team and Jimmy Lake era back on the map. Right. Even as like, you know, soft of a number eight as BYU is. Yeah. They're kind of like team. ESPN's darling pick right For now, sure. you know, like March Madness, Cinderella type feel to them. And yeah. we would smash these guys. Khabib Nurmagomedov of UFC. Send me location. I come smash these guys. <laughs> <laughs> so the other possible teams are Utah. And the reason why Utah might be on the board is Arizona State is supposed to be their matchup this weekend. Arizona State has just been an absolute train wreck in terms of their COVID protocol. Mm, <laughs> I don't Herm, even know what are you Herm... doing, buddy. Dude, we play to win the game. Apparently, we don't care are, about they're COVID. The, they're the ones that someone came out and said, the, like, they got a text from an inside source at ASU or something, and the text said it's really bad. 
the whole like whole one side of the ball has it or something like that yeah, like, it's really it's really not good <laughs> like, and it, like it was like literally quote for quote it's really bad one whole side of the ball has it i'm like oh my god how how do you even let that happen so anyway AS, asu's having a rough go of it this year yeah so the thought is arizona state may not be able to play which would then make utah available mm-hmm. and connor i know you're mentioning before and you're a little bit more in tune to the whole scheduling and the new like pac-12 being flexible without a conference opponents yeah. is there some priority to any available pac-12 school needs to be scheduled before we could you know, entertain the idea of like a byu or how what's your yeah yeah that's that's a good question um so essentially you can schedule a non-conference opponent now in the pac-12 and they just changed that rule i think last week um because of all the scheduling mishaps that have already happened within the conference they should have foreseen this coming larry scott hashtag fire larry scott Um, fire larry scott get it trending folks um so that being said, you have to like if if another conference game were to get canceled, i.e., Arizona State, Utah this week is the most likely that would get canceled by Thursday. That game takes precedent, like that conference p- potential conference game takes precedent over any non-conference opponent that you had already previously scheduled for that particular week. So this is one of the things that also BYU is saying as far as their hesitation in scheduling this game with UW, aside from the fact that they have dreams and aspirations of making the college football playoff and think they can get in with a 10 and 0 record against, you know, Joe Schmo's backup football team out there. They can't, by the way, they're not going to get in with the, the schedule that they, they currently have. But if they um, manned up and played UW and that's a legit team somehow could, yeah. pulled out a win. Should be a win-win situation. Um, but part of the part of their hesitation also is that I guess they which again, there's not really much risk for BYU in this circumstance, but they don't want to schedule a game, prepare for that game, and then come Thursday, they're not playing that game, which all you do is just get more practice like for a certain opponent for that. Like right. the, the only other thing, I guess that it, it, it limits their ability to possibly reschedule another game, but they're not even supposed to play this week. So I think that's just a bullshit excuse by them trying to frame it up that way. Like that, that report came out after the initial report of they're wanting to wait till Tuesday to see where they are in the college football playoff rankings to see if they need this game which they do like they need, they would, this would be a perfect opportunity for them to try to get a, a win against a solid, you know, power five opponent in Washington. Like, I think we can all agree upon upon that at, at yeah. this point. So anyway, aside, Man. aside from that, aside from that point, yes. If, if the ASU and Utah game gets called off uh, 99% chance that we'd be playing Utah probably on Sunday. Yep. But um, man, I I am so freaking juiced up to the idea of playing BYU. It would that would be a fun preview, dude. It if, would be a big game. It yeah. would have a ton of national exposure, which is something mm-hmm. 
the Pac-12 so that game would had, be on Saturday, I think. I don't yeah. know. I, I have no idea what time that would be. Like, I mean, obviously, all that would be to, to be determined. It would be a big game, and it would I, be. I, I would up. imagine. I would imagine that's probably a mid-afternoon kick. Is yeah. my guess. I mean, the Pac-12 has had a national PR nightmare of yeah. a year. Yeah. We have no they momentum, no popularity. Dude. UW has an amazing showing against Arizona last week. We are look like we're starting to put the pieces together. Yep. A lot, BYU, a lot of, let's see a lot what of, you got. Well, and a lot of the other Pac-12 teams that we thought might be there have not looked that strong. I mean, USC is barely pulling off a couple wins. They're, you know, the highest ranked Pac-12 team right now. They jumped Oregon this week, I guess, in the latest AP. I don't know why, but... Um, so Oregon I mean, has eked out a Oregon, couple of yeah, close Oregon wins hasn't against... looked, yep, Oregon hasn't looked super convincing either. Um, so the Huskies are right in a good prime position for this. And let, let well, let do you want to talk about that in this? I know we're running pretty long. We not yet. I need it. I can't get off the the BYU thing. I have to say one more thing. Yeah, no, uh, and we have to talk about the the potential third opponent, which we don't want want to happen, but it could right. possibly happen. So BYU's darling quarterback zach wilson wears a headband that has gone viral that says yes any team anytime any place byu is starting to now sell t-shirts on their online store that says any team anytime any place well if we're not playing byu because they decided not to play us and the Utah and Arizona state game goes off as usual and Utah is left to our third opponent which we'll talk about next People need to be burning those shirts. Zach Wilson better never wear that fucking headband again because it's fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that to put that out there, and li- literally they tweeted that yesterday. Yesterday. This is why I'm so fired up. I'm sorry, Mom, if you're listening. I'm starting to curse a lot because I'm getting fired up about this. This is you when it gets fun, folks. You can't come out with a headband, start capitalizing commercially, on a t-shirt that literally the saying any team anytime any place and now they're like whoa, whoa immediately whoa, whoa. backtrack one yeah. day later they're like well we're not sure if we want to like take the risk of playing the huskies i mean you don't look pretty good on saturday i don't know yeah, yeah. so i'm gonna stop we're gonna be here for hours if i keep going <laughs> but i think well maybe we talk about it later this week we'll see i i hope i'm sure our listeners hope that we do yeah <laughs> yeah, at this point, yeah. There's your there's your teaser for the next episode, folks. If you know plays BYU, it's gonna be a pretty fun episode later yeah. this week. Um yeah, so uh, the this third opponent is San Diego State and they don't Better have a game. They, they they yeah, they already they their game also got canceled already this week. So the, they're the most logical next opponent. Obviously, there's going to be other cancellations across college football. We've seen more and more games cancel as the season has gone on, especially as the virus has become, you know, even more widespread throughout the country again. Um, so, but at the same time, it, it's it's just easier logistically to try to work with teams that already don't have something scheduled for like this early in the week, just as not, not just from a game planning standpoint, as far as getting more practice time to prepare for your opponent, but also just a 
a purely logistical standpoint as far as figuring out hotel accommodations, figuring out food accommodations for all these players and coaches, figuring out buses and equipment that needs to travel from one place to another. All those logistics have to be figured out. And that's the main reason why UW wasn't able to uh, shift and pivot quick enough in that first week um, when their game against Cal got canceled. Like they were trying to throw something together against Arizona that week, but the logistics weren't just going to work out, weren't going to work out because um, there was, there were too many uphill battles from equipment buses being needing to be where they needed to be. And um, hotel accommodations, food, food accommodations for all these players and coaches, they weren't able to, they weren't going to be able to figure that out quick enough for that game to happen. So now, now that we have this news earlier in the week, while it sucks that we're not playing Apple cup, like that's obviously like the biggest downfall of this. There's a real opportunity here for not only the PAC 12 and UW, but also for BYU and like, this could come together and be really kind of a cool, good thing for really everyone involved. Yeah. It could end up being a marquee matchup in the week of college football. Yeah. And if we are right on the outside, looking into the top 25, so it's basically a top 25 matchup um, that they'd be able to schedule basically, you know, that wasn't on the, on the schedule before. So that's, that's, that would be pretty cool if they're able to just put that together. Yeah. And if you aren't fired up enough, just, based on how I'm reacting to the potential of playing BYU, go to Twitter, follow a couple of the Husky players. They are all <laughs> trolling. They're fired up. They're calling their shots saying like, all right, yep. if you're going to play any team, any time, any place, come play us. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you the, the reason why I want to see this game so bad is exactly because I've seen the social media activity of our team. Our team is so hungry to yeah, prove themselves and to have a game against a highly recognized team this year. And I would be scared for BYU if this game happens. Oh, for sure. I think our players are so fired up. I think we'll call BYU's bluff. They don't want any, they don't want none of what we got going on up here. <laughs> Trust me. It would, our players would play with their hair on fire and, Oh man, I want it to happen so bad because it'd be a hell of a game. So that being said, folks, I think we're going to probably close to wrap up this episode. I don't know if you had anything else to say, Sam. I mean, I know you have a lot more to say about BYU BYU (laughs) matchup, but that'll be for possibly the next episode. Um, Yeah, I guess give them a little insight into like when we, timeline wise, when are we going to get some clarity here? Yeah, we we obviously don't know and I'm not inside scooper on on any of these things. My best guess though. And from what I've read um, is, and just thinking about this strategically for you, dub, I think they, I think they probably call BYU's bluff and they give them till Tuesday. Um, And hopefully the game comes together and they're, they're able to, I think we'll find out more about it tomorrow. Monday, I guess today is probably this is when it's going to be this episode is going to be released. We'll find out more on Monday, but I think a more firm decision could be made on Tuesday if it's going to happen with BYU. Um, that being said, I think chances are 
and I know you don't like this, Sam, that the game likely that would happen this week and is probably Utah. Um, the Huskies, from what I've told, are preparing for a game against Utah this weekend. Like that's kind of what their mindset is at this point. Obviously, they'll change that, and these things are changing quickly in the world of college football in 2020. Right. And you have to be able to pivot and like so there could be a completely different story out of nowhere tomorrow. Um, so I have a feeling it'll probably be Utah, but I think, I think we'll it's going to be either Utah or BYU. And yeah. I think we'll know by Tuesday. Yeah. I think we'll know for sure. If it's BYU Tuesday, um, they want BYU. One of the things that BYU wants is like some kind of like assurance or like non opt out clause, like, like basically a locked in deal that they would play the game which is just again i think that's just like excuse yeah it's it it kind of goes back to what i was saying with the whole that they don't want a game being canceled on them when that's just what 2020 is i'm sorry <laughs> but like, yeah if we end up having to play utah that's not our fault at that point that's the conference rules at that point so um so yeah we'll we'll find out for sure i think with you if with BYU on Tuesday whether it's a go or not and if it's not, um, we might we might throw to something together with San Diego State at that point just to get something on the yeah, schedule. I think we would. And then um, that game would be heavily unlikely to happen, though, because I think that Utah-Arizona State game is very up in the air. And I think, I mean, they moved it back to Sunday because they're hoping that it can happen to give it a chance to happen but I think it's probably an uphill battle from what I'm reading for that, for that game to happen. So we'll see what happens. It'll, I mean, it'll be very interesting, obviously over the next few days, I will say that if, if we have a game on the calendar with BYU come Tuesday, I think Sam and I are probably both in agreement that we'll probably try to record an episode that night for yeah, a Wednesday I won't release. Be able, yeah. I won't be able to contain myself. Yeah. So probably expect something to come out either Wednesday or Thursday at the latest from us as far as like a game preview or hopeful game preview we'll probably know more about the asu utah situation at that point too yep so um or i hope we should know more about that situation by that point so we'll have a pretty educated guess i think by tuesday who that opponent is going to be this weekend um but yeah another another cancellation and another just weird weird year man like 2020 just keeps keeps the hits coming so like yeah like sam, like sam and i have said just don't take these husky husky saturdays for granted because never is the next one promised so right and i think i think to that point i will tease a future episode probably after the season wraps up and when we're looking for some off-season content my mm. good friend that i grew up with ryan sapardo we've talked about him on the podcast a couple of times he's a coach down at oregon state we're going to try to get him on after the season concludes and get an inside look at just how crazy this year is and yeah. from the inside perspective of what that means for the players, the coaches. And so I think with just all the uncertainty that we have with this week in particular, it kind of makes sense just to give a little plug to that, that we'll be able to bring on a special guest and get an inside look and feel for, just how batshit crazy this year has been and what it has taken from 
you know, the, the toll it's taken on coaches, players, administrators, Jen Cohen's going to be answering phone calls all night. She's yeah. not going to get a lot of sleep tonight or tomorrow mm-hmm. night or the mm-hmm. night after. So this there's a lot week, of, yeah. there's a lot of thanks and gratitude to go around and, you know, with people making it happen, but I'm confident that we'll have a Husky game and watching the dogs play again this week is better than not watching them at all. And I'll be grateful for whoever the opponent is that as long as we get to play. Yep. For sure. That's well said. Uh, as a reminder, folks, if you're at this point in the episode, you're obviously interested in what Sam and I have to say. So please subscribe and follow to us. We're on all major streaming podcast platforms. So whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, please subscribe and follow. Also use that anchor link and leave us a message. We like to interact with our with our uh, with our listeners and if you, especially if you want to be featured in a future episode, uh, we, we want to do like Q and a sessions and stuff with, with our listeners as well. If you, if you have anything else to talk about Seattle sports wise, Seahawks, Sounders, Sounders have a big, big playoff game this week on the, on the Tuesday, Sam, I hope you're tuning in. I will. LAFC. Cool. I will. So, um, obviously the Seahawks just had a big win against Arizona last, last Thursday night. Um, and they're right back in the thick of it with, some of the results today in the NFC NFC race, um, not only just the West, but the NFC like number one seed. Um, so some exciting stuff going on also in some other areas of Seattle sports. Um, we'll have more Mariners talk, obviously, as we approach Mariners season and stuff too. But I think for the most part, we're going to be focusing in on, on Husky football, probably for the foreseeable future. That being said, leave us, leave us, feedback and let us know what you guys want to hear um yeah but yeah until then until next time go dogs go dogs